everyone, and welcome to another week of the TMA Toronto podcast. My name is Jonathan Yancey. I'm a financial services associate at Airden Burles LLP and a member of the social networking committee here at TMA Toronto. I'm happy to have my friend and colleague, Murtaza Talat uh, of KSV on the podcast today. Murtaza, thanks so much. How are you doing? Thanks, Jonathan. Doing great. Excited to be here. And thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, really appreciate you making the time to come chat with us. Um, just to start, Murtaza, for the folks who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, t- tell us a bit uh, about yourself and about KSV. Sure. So, uh, you know, I've been at KSV for about three years. Um, I'm a manager in the restructuring practice there. Um, KSV is a boutique insolvency firm. We're based out of Toronto. Um, you know, we'll t- do all sorts of uh, engagements, including in court, you know, uh, your CCAAs, um, receiverships, et cetera. And then um, also out of court, like turnarounds, operating stuff. Um, and then we also have a valuations group um, aside from our restructuring practice. So, Murtaza, you're a, a manager. Some of the folks listening today will have been themselves managers or worked opposite managers 10, 15, 20 years ago. And other folks might be at the exact opposite end of the spectrum um, where they are interested in the kind of work you do and might, and, and might want to have a similar kind of job. Um, I'm just curious, and even from the perspective of a lawyer, uh, uh, who, who works with you and, and works with folks in your role. Can you paint a picture for us of what your average day looks like? Yeah, and so <laughs> it's funny you ask that because one of the best things about restructuring is that there is no average day. Um, right. Every day really looks very, very different. But, you know, if I was supposed to, I guess, put it into categories to say, like, you know, on an average basis in a year, this is, what I spend my time on, um, you know, I would say, um, you know, a lot of it goes into um, reading, reading materials, right? So whether it's a court materials, or whether it's um, financial information sent to us by the company or the lender that we're dealing with, and then doing some sort of analysis on that financial information. Um, A big part of um, the job is also the administration aspect of it. So, so especially when you're in a, in a court proceeding, um, there's a very big administration uh, part of a bankruptcy or of a CCAA, right? Like writing a court report or dealing with the claim, claims process. Um, and then the other aspect of it, which I find myself spending a lot of time on is the stakeholder engagement. Um, so whether that's creditors or lenders or the lawyers, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a big piece of it, which you're constantly communicating throughout the day, whether it's phone calls or emails with the various stakeholders involved in any proceeding. Yeah. And that, that last piece is interesting to me because I imagine this is true, the work that I do, but I suspect it's even more the case in your role where you're really dealing with this incredibly wide range of stakeholders in terms of um, the experience and background they bring, the perspective, the interest they might have. Uh, 
are, have there been any, and, and then the other piece of that, of course, is the pandemic has changed how we engage with people. I mean, it's very big, it's almost trite now, but we're doing, we're doing this over, uh, over a video conference over Zoom, uh, whereas in years gone by, we just would have met up in a conference room to do this. How, can can yeah. you tell me, tell me a bit about like stakeholder engagement over the last couple of years? What's that looked like for you? Yeah, so you know, as you as you just mentioned, it's it's a huge range. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Zoom meetings, phone calls, it's 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 been almost endless. Uh, but you know, uh, there's a big range, I would say, in in stakeholders as well. You know, especially in a bigger file, like you you obviously have your your sophisticated, um, you know, secured lenders who know exactly what they want from an engagement right and they're and they're very in the nitty-gritty and they're um they're on top of everything that's kind of going on and they're you know they're they're very aware um they're you know um they're basically in the loop on on sort of most of what's going on in a proceeding but then you also get these files um for example you know we we recently did a a ccwa uh, a ccwa at ksv um, a file called Metro 360, where where we had almost 1,100 or so claimants, um, majority of which, a very large majority of which, were these sort of very small mom and pop, um, very unsophisticated um, convenience store owners, right? So now we had sort of a creditor class of over over a thousand people that were uh, very unsophisticated, didn't understand. Um, you know, a single word of what they read on, uh, you know, in terms of the court materials and all that. So it was a very big undertaking from from our aspect um, and from, you know, especially from a manager's aspect, because a lot of times you're sort of on that front line of communication with those stakeholders to, you know, get them on board with the plan, uh, right? Because the file essentially ended up in a, um, we ended up filing a, a plan of compromise and arrangement, which, which you know, thankfully, um, it was unanim unanimously accepted, right? But, but to get that file to that point, there was a huge stakeholder management aspect, um, and we and we really had to, you know, tailor our communication um, towards, you know, knowing that these stakeholders are unsophisticated and that you are going to sort of handhold them through the process, through the claims process, because otherwise they, they, a lot of them wouldn't even have filed a claim because they didn't even know what's going on. Right. So even to reach out to them to say, look, you know, file a claim, right. Like you, the, you might get your money back this way. Right. And so that was, uh, and I thought that was a very interesting aspect of, of a file like that. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, the sophisticated piece, really, it's 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 almost a euphemism that, that that folks in our industry tend to use to describe people who don't eat, sleep, breathe this <laughs> the, the this the the lingo that we do from day in and day out. Right? Like, yeah. No offense to you and all the other monitors out there, uh, and I shouldn't take offense to this either because I have a hand in drafting them from time to time, but. Monitors reports aren't built for scintillating reading. Like the, the point isn't to be, you know, your next, uh, 
your next airport paperback page turner. They're, they're really designed to deliver specific information to specific stakeholders, often, as you pointed out, stakeholders. Right? So if you're a, a mom and pop shop and you've never um, been a stakeholder in a CCAA proceeding, unlike mm -hmm. a Schedule One bank, for example, which is dealing with many of them all of the time, uh, fair enough, I can appreciate how you might get um, uh, claims information and say, I like somebody could somebody just please give me my money? Like, when do I get right? Paid? That's 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 exactly the sort of calls and emails that, that we were receiving, right? Because obviously, a, a big package goes out to each of the creditors, right? And that package can be quite intimidating, um, right? Because it has various letters, it has the trustees or, or the monitor's report. Right. It has the plan of arrangement, you know, each of which are um, very large documents. Right. Yeah, for, forget, uh, for, forget, <laughs> forget court monitors reports are like are like John Grisham next to. The yeah, arrangement. Exactly. exactly. Right. And, and you know, our, our goal, obviously, there is to be as factually accurate as we can and provide as much information. Right. And I mean, from from our viewpoint, right? Like, obviously we do certain things to try and make it easier. Like we developed um, a, frequent, a frequently asked questions list, right? That was um, in a little bit more layman's terms to try and um, explain to, you know, people that, that might not be, have been CCAA stakeholders in the past, exactly what's going on. But even then, um, you know, some of the terms were just lost on, I would say most of, the creditors and we were still getting a large volume of calls and emails to say, you know, I don't understand. Um, how do I get my money? Well, it's, it's, it's a funny thing about our, um, our industry, our, our practice area too, that just as many of the stakeholders that we deal with are constantly confronted by new information and, 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 new jargon and all of that, we, we can kind of relate, right? Like we, we, we deal with that too. You get files from time to time where you're all in the industry time. and you're like, I have, I have no idea what this means or how this works. And I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Yeah. No, that you, you honestly, you nailed it right on the head. And I think that's, that's um, especially prevalent in, in receiverships, uh, you know, where, where we're basically, going to a business and, um, you know, kind of telling everybody what to do. So you sort of have to learn on the fly as to, you know, what that business is, what, how, how to operate that business and what exactly the game plan is. Right. I, I mean, I can recall, for example, um, this was one of the first files that I did at KSV. It was a receivership of a company that owned a group of pharmacies. Um, in southwestern Ontario, right? So I had, like, I remember being in the car, um, waiting for the receivership order, right? And as soon as, as soon as we got the order, we, you know, walk into the pharmacy, and you know, with this order kind of like on our cell phone, and we walk up to the pharmacist, you know, and we go, um, you know, sorry, but you know, a receivership, and and he's just, you know, not totally not understanding what we're talking about, right? And and at the same time, like we're kind of there and, you know, there's, there's customers there, there's, um, 
you know, I mean, it's a pharmacy, it's an operating pharmacy, right? It's not like a dying business where the doors are shut, right? It's a, it's a operating business. And so we kind of just had to learn, um, you know, what the pharmacists do, what the pharmacy staff do, because, uh, you know, in receivership, we're essentially taking control of the flow of the funds as well, right? So that was a pretty important aspect of it. Um, But um, another interesting part of that file was one of the pharmacies was going through um, an inspection from the College of Pharmacists. Mm. So the OCP, just sort of the regulatory body for for pharmacies. And so one of the uh, pharmacies got um, a letter from the OCP saying that they were deficient for a lot of the controls. And, you know, obviously um, us being the receiver, we don't want this to be a situation where the OCP tells us to close to close down that pharmacy because of the deficiencies, right? Because then we basically lost out on our on our going concern sale. So, um, you know, I remember go- going into that pharmacy and basically staying there for a full day and working with the pharmacist to address all the deficiencies. Like me knowing nothing about pharmacies or how to run a pharmacy, right? Is just kind of learning on the fly, like reading the OCP guidelines. And, you know, talking to the pharmacist and saying, okay, like, are you doing this? Are you setting the temperature of the fridge at the right, you know, uh, temperature? Are you putting the, the vials in the correct place? And, you know, obviously knowing nothing about having ever run a pharmacy before, yeah. right? So it's just that constant learning. It, it, it's so true, right? And, and kind of just being thrown in and being forced to learn. Um, this is one of the big reasons why I love this industry. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's probably at once the most fantastic, awesome, cool part of being a restructuring professional and also terrifying. If you, if you stop and think yeah. about it, step back from kind of the, the, the way that we see the sausage made and just think about it in the abstract, you go with the stroke of a judge's pen, so to speak, from like not being at all into this industry, from having right away, liability, responsibility, of, uh, you know, this, this role of managing a business. And um, it's, it's great because you bring all of these skills and expertise to bear in terms of financial analysis and what it takes to, to, to run a business and make sure that the stakeholders are, their interests are properly protected. But at the same time, this, the, the other part of your skill is just being able to accept that there's a ton of stuff you don't know, and you're going to figure sure. it out really, really fast. For sure. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the greatest quality that a restructuring professional has to have is, is the ability to learn, just be a sponge, just absorb literally everything. Yeah. And also to be able to identify, as you said, knowing what you don't know, mm. right. And don't be overconfident because there's, there's so much risk when doing something like that. Like you can definitely, you know, totally screw things up. Uh, right. And so you really have to know what you don't know, identify those gaps and then, you know, either learn to be able to fill those gaps or bring in the necessary expertise when you have to, um, to be able to address those, those issues. Right. And then just being resourceful too, um, because things just come up on the fly and you, a lot of times you don't have time to sit there and game plan and, you know, think about next steps. You just have to think on your feet, be resourceful, especially when you're on site at, you know, mm. some of these files and you're in the moment. Um, you just have to be go, 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 and you have to be resourceful and figure things out. 
So we were having lunch a summer ago and you told me, well, first, I think you were a little horrified that I hadn't done this, but you were told me, you told me that um, I needed to watch The Sopranos and you didn't. I thought it was blasphemous. Yeah, that I, <laughs> that I got this far and uh, yeah, that I got this far that so many year, years have passed and I still haven't watched it. And I, I got to say, since, since that, uh, that lunch, I, I took you up on it and I, I did watch the series beginning to end and it was fantastic. Um, for folks listening who might not have watched The Sopranos, why why was that your un, unconditional, unqualified recommendation? You know what, I think I think it just goes, um, first of all, to the writing of that show. It's, it's, it's truly written like a masterpiece. It's, it's a bit of a slow burn at times, but it's mm-hmm it's really a character play at the end of the day, right? And sort of the development of each of the characters. And, you know, I, like, I, don't, I, I don't know any other series where literally every single character is so memorable. And I could, you know, um, I can quote you lines from every single character, right? Like it, nobody in that entire show was kind of just an afterthought or just, you know, was just a character that was unimportant. Like everybody had a role to play every character had sort of a character arc and a journey um, and a story. And, you know, who, who doesn't like a good mafia TV show? Right. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, I honestly, I, I grew up um, a huge, you know, Scarface Godfather, you know, et cetera fan. Um, and I didn't get to the Sopranos until, until my university days. But, you know, when I watched it, I was like, wow, I've been, been missing out uh, is tr- a truly a masterpiece and anybody listening to this podcast that hasn't seen it you really need to watch it yeah I, I, I 100% agree and you know I think you know you and I are both big nonfiction readers and, and that's all well and good you learn a lot but every now yeah. and then it's good to have a, a story and and the benefit the benefit of that in terms of you know empathy and, and thinking through the, the character arcs that people go through. It really gives you some perspective that maybe we, we miss out on our day-to-day kind of grind sometimes. So thanks for, sure. for that recommendation. Amazing uh, actors. And, and sorry, without, without, um, without spoiling anything, it, I think arguably the best ending of all time of any TV show. Yeah, fair enough. Fair, fair, fair enough. There are some other great ones where they kind of sputter. That that one does not. Yeah, uh, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> knock knock. Uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, listen. Uh, thanks so much for making the time to chat. Uh, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to working together soon. Uh, and uh, and take care. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been my pleasure.